0: and welcome to this month's Archimedes, the evidence-based section of the Archives of Diseases of Childhood. Well, you know that, and I'm sure that you've been doing clinical practice and you've thought, oh, oh, that that clinical question, that's an Archimedes in waiting, that is. Well, why not join in the footsteps of those that have climbed the dizzying heights, following that goat track through the mountains, passing through the agonising process of pre-submission, inwards beyond that, to struggle with the manuscript central online editorial system, then the paper disappears somewhere into the distance where it eventually pops out through peer review to comments back from your peers. You They then struggled with them to decide which of those comments are reasonable, which are unreasonable. How can I address this? Develop and improve their Archimedes, put it back in, and then finally the editorial board gets to look at it and make the decision. Is it going to stay or is the journal going to decline the opportunity to take that Archimedes? And, and and often, often people's smiles light up as they find their Archimedes has been accepted and it makes its way onto online first, where it might sit for a considerable period of time before finally appearing in the paper journal some months later. Now, once it's hit the paper journal, that's the point where your granny might go down to the newsagents and ask them to get a copy in because she is so proud of you becoming a published author. Now, there are two sets of grannies that might have done that this month. People from the Exeter Medical School, Victoria Comminstate and Sean Ludman, and also from St George's in London, Julia Avery and Lucinda Etheridge. They're Archimedes' will be part of this podcast, but let's start first with something about how to do evidence-based medicine and the struggles we get in it. I recently listened to a podcast about avoidable incidents and the link is in the show notes for this podcast and included one where a ship was steered onto a reef by an extremely experienced captain. He'd headed off down the quicker route to beat a tide that was coming in and despite all evidence that the situation was worsening and it was not going to happen, he kept on going. Now, for me this struck a chord as to how we sometimes act in medicine we'll come up with a diagnosis and we stick with it even when other pointers are heading away from it we will keep on going with one therapeutic maneuver sometimes increasing intensity despite things not working or or even deteriorating and sometimes it's a locum doctor or a new pair of eyes coming in over a holiday or an influx of new trainees that allows us to see that we're stuck and that we need to change Now, this catches us in evidence-based practice too. We can only be asking the questions that we know the answer to, for example, or we answer only questions when we hear or see something that intrigues us, and then we appraise the ones that come back with the wrong answer, the one that we don't want, much harder than the right one. To get around this aspect of being stuck in our preconceptions and our current practice, try to mirror the appraisal points fairly. So if you're asking why the randomised controlled trials aren't blinded for the new treatment, then also wonder where the blinded randomised control trials are for the old one. If you're concerned that we don't have solid, long-term, well-done cohorts or dosing data Spin the same lens onto what you're doing right now. Where is the solid long-term cohort data? Where is the stuff that says what the right dose to use is? There's definitely something to be said for experience and that accumulated knowledge of learning through doing. But don't let that and the momentum of your current way of doing things make changing course impossible. Now, onwards to the first of our little snippets of evidence based joy. This one comes from Victoria Kaminskate and Sean Ludman at the University of Exeter Medical School, and they ask the question Does early egg introduction prevent egg? allergy in children and there's a four-year-old that comes into allergy clinic with her parents who say after eating eggs and egg containing foods this girl develops a nettle sting rash around the mouth and it happens within an hour or so of eating this is confirmed on an oral food challenge and in the follow-up appointment her parents ask could it have been presented some way And so you go away and you look into whether early dietary intervention of egg rather than avoiding it to stop it becoming allergic would have made a difference. Now, this is a question that has been analysed extensively, and the group went away and they looked at a whole range of places, including for systematic reviews and primary studies. Over 320 potentials were looked at and came down to six randomised controlled trials. These range in size from 86 or so patients all the way up to 1,300 or so, so a decent sized body of evidence there. They broadly split into a couple of ones that used a raw egg powder and most of them that were using cooked egg in early introduction. Now, early introduction in this setting is a little bit variable between the trials, but normally means between about four months or so upwards to six or eight months with an increasing amount of egg being delivered into the diet on a regular sort of way. The raw egg powders were associated with worse allergies and safety events, and that's sort of gone out of the window. But the introduction of cooked egg uh, has been shown to reduce the number of children with allergic responses to egg later on at around the year or two years point in time. What is important to realise is that there is a difference between actual egg Allergy, the, the sort of clinical phenomenon, and the scientific basis for it, where you're looking for a biomarker such as IgE mediated egg sensitization. Now, whilst these things are roughly correlated, they're not perfect. So just changing sensitization levels in this sort of IGE way doesn't necessarily mean that you will change the allergy status and and, and the other way around really you can change allergy status without having massively different levels of IGE sensitization. The bottom line from this group is that the introduction of cooked egg uh, into the diet can reduce the risk of allergy in infants. And this is a range of infants from sort of general population and high risk infants because of previous problems and and atopic infants we know have greater risk of these sorts of allergies. The degree to which the egg has been processed does seem to affect outcomes. And so it's the raw egg that seems to make more problems and the cooked egg seems to make better. And then there's a sort of suggestion buried deep in some of these studies that it might be that you could look in advance at those infants that were at higher risk of problems and and, and then maybe be more encouraging of introducing in that group rather than the other groups, although that one is a lot weaker and who you decide to encourage this for might be based more around a general sort of understanding that introducing cook tech is a good thing to do. Our other question this time comes from St George's in London, from Julia Avery and Lucinda Etheridge. And they ask a question around migraine. Migraine can be incredibly disabling, as many of you will have experienced yourselves. And to have chronic migraine can be really problematic. A 14-year-old girl is seen in outpatients and her dad, who's come with her, says that he's read that high-dose magnesium will make a difference and and, and it's not included in any of the things that are being prescribed, and and, and should, should she be on it now? Well, you're not really sure, it's not in the guidance and not particularly something you'd heard about before, so you went away and looked at the evidence. Searching for studies that include these things, looking specifically in the adolescent population for magnesium and migraine, came back with a number of articles that could have been relevant, 64 or so, with a a strong paediatric filter on them. Nine dragged out and looked at in detail, and of that, four of them got into this Archimedes report. Only one randomised controlled trial with 118 patients in it, and then three smallish cohorts ranging from 34 patients up to 160. As you can imagine from just describing those study designs, what we're looking at here is a range of different ways of giving magnesium in different doses to some extent, and also in different durations. The studies all use different ways of assessing headache severity and headache frequency. And so they're not directly comparable. So we have to take a more sort of narrative overview of what's coming out of it. The cohort studies that are reported here all demonstrate that patients that have taken magnesium report improvement in their migraine frequency or their migraine severity or both. They also report that there are more sloppy stools, which is what goes on when you start giving people magnesium. The balance there has to be struck. Also, those cohort studies don't have a really strong set of patients that didn't take it. And like all of these sort of cohort studies, we're not really sure what's going on in terms of numbers of dropouts, who got included, who didn't get included, who chose not to be around in the first place. The RCT is really interesting. So what it showed is in the magnesium receiving group, the randomized ones, 118 went in, only 86 completing the study. Of the ones that completed in the magnesium group, they had a fall in the number of headaches from baseline to the end. This was statistically significant. The placebo group had a fall in absolute number, but it was within the variation that you'd expect by chance. It was not a significantly significant fall within that group. Now, you'll notice that what that isn't is an analysis to see, is there a difference between these groups? But it's taking two cohorts. Yes, the cohorts have been randomised in their setup and looked at the change in time over two cohorts and made simple statements about those single cohorts. This is not the most appropriate way to undertake an analysis of this type of data. It's something that has been done. It's something that's widely published on. But when we're using that sort of critical appraisal type approach, it's a slightly dodgy analysis. It might indeed reflect the truth, but it isn't RCT data in the sense of understanding the comparison between two randomised groups. What we've got here is we've got a randomised cohort allocation and then we've got analysis of two separate cohorts. Relatively subtle, but important in raising a sense of uncertainty around this. So we come away from this evidence thinking there's some data out there to suggest in a weakish way that magnesium seemed to potentially help, but it's a low level evidence. And so a reasonable bottom line that the group came out with was that supplementary magnesium in paediatric or adolescent patients with migraine may reduce head frequency and severity. And this, this I think, is a fair way of drawing that together. But the dosage, duration, and route, one of these was done uh, not using enteral magnesium, uh, remain unclear. If people want to try it, then yeah, by all means do so. And doses of up to nine milligrams per kilogram really decent doses have been used. And there's some sort of uncertainty about whether you know whether it's going to work or not. So, so why not give it alongside the simple analgesics for three months or so and see if it makes a difference for that particular patient and if they get side effects, whether the benefit outweighs the side effects. So, what are we left with at the end of our Archimedes this time? Well, we know that even ship's captains can sometimes choose the wrong path, that magnesium might help headaches go away, and that giving smaller children cooked egg is a good thing to do to reduce their risk of allergies in later life, and more importantly than all of that, that getting an Archimedes published is possible. When you see a question that needs an evidence-based answer, Pop on to the website, see how to submit, and you and your granny might be hearing about your Archimedes in the future. Until next month, goodbye.